1: In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. Just want to thank all our fans and listeners. I really appreciate all support. Uh, before we get into tonight's film review, I just want to give a quick shout out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. Brian's done an excellent job designing it. And uh, if you ever want to listen to any of our episodes or our interviews, definitely check out our website. Uh, we've said it many times in the past. We've done several, several interviews with these horror legends, and it's a lot easier to find them on the website than it is on like iTunes or Spotify. Uh, we also have our store. We got some new shirts, uh, some new merch, some new apparel, and we also have Shan's Etsy page attached as well. Her tumblers are selling like hotcakes, so definitely go check those out. Uh, get you one right before summer starts, so you can have keep something, keep your cold drink in it. Uh, we also have like our blog, our think pieces, and uh, the last thing I'm gonna shout out on our website is we have all our social media links on there. Uh, you know we're very active with our fans. We love our fans. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Go follow us, like us, subscribe us on all those platforms. You know, we always interact. We love chit-chatting with you about horror. We answer all of your questions or read your comments on the air. So definitely interact with us on social media. We really appreciate that. And we're going to shout out our Patreon, what we call Blood Donors. We have a monthly reoccurring kind. And I fully acknowledge how tough times are economically for everyone. I mean, hell, just look up, just look around you. Everything's tough. But none of that money goes in our pockets. And we really, really appreciate any help that you give us. Because It goes right back into the podcast, not in our pockets, just to make that clear. And we also have a one time donation set up. Uh, if you know you're a big fan of a movie and you want us to review it, uh, we have those options available as well. Tonight, we're closing out uh 2000s theme month, uh, with brother Dustin's pick. Uh, you want to announce your pick, brother? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, 2000s month w- has been
2: fun, a lot of movies that came out, you know, when I was either in high school or Graduate in high school or whatever. Um, so it's been a fun month. Well, this movie has always stood out to me because I was working the day it released at the movie theater. So this movie released uh, Christmas Day 2005, and I was working at Regal Cinema at, at uh, Turkey Creek, Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, I just remember they sent us some pretty cool marketing for us, like pins to wear on our shirts and stuff, and they look pretty cool. And so I was intrigued by the movie because it's like usually if they spin something like that, that means the movie sucks and they're trying to make up for it, or it could be a really good movie that they don't expect to do well. So they're trying to draw people to it. So I, I watched it and I, I it's always been one of those movies I kind of, uh, I thought was underrated. It doesn't get its uh, appreciation as much as it should, in my opinion. And so this has been on my list to pick for a long time. So what better time to do it than to close out 2000s month?
1: All right, I'll go next. Uh, if you're a listener of our show, uh, If you've been listening for a while, you know that I'm bullied by my co-host a lot for not seeing a lot of movies or hating certain decades, which is Mm. incredibly false. Mm, But but there was one weekend a few months back where I told myself, I'm going to watch all movies that I haven't seen. I watched Sleepaway Camp, Cabin Fever, and Wolf Creek. And just being honest, the first time I watched Wolf Creek bored me to tears. Honestly, I felt like the first half just drags and drags and drags uh, upon this rewatch. I still feel the same way about the beginning, but once you get to that 45 minute, 50 minute mark, and then the movie kind of transitions into what the movie's about. Big fan of it. Big fan. Love the second half of the movie, the last hour, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mick is terrifying. Uh, and just like I said last week, and we kind of all felt the same way about Hostel. This movie feels realistic, very realistic actually, because yeah. uh, yeah. it is real because it's based off of true events. Uh, it's pretty damn terrifying, but my score re- will reflect that I just do not like the opening part, but I do love the second half. If that makes any sense. All right, Brian, you're next, brother. <laughs> that's
3: <laughs> that's funny too, man. Because I kind of like I kind of like the first part a little bit better than the second part. <laughs> but that's so that's that's that tracks. Um, And if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, this is actually the third Australian horror movie that we've done, right after Dustin's favorite movies of all time, House of Wax and The Babadook. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Uh, Yeah, Nico right now is furiously hitting his unmute button to ask why Dustin hates Australian movies, but this is his pick, (laughs) so uh, what can you do? Um, Anyway, sorry, that's just a little inside joke (laughs) with all of us, but... Anyway, I'd never seen this film until Dustin picked it for this review. Uh, Ryan Hollinger actually said in his, by the way, if you don't don't listen to Ryan Hollinger, like he's one of my favorite YouTubers, definitely check him out. But uh, he said in his YouTube review of this, like that it got a lot of gore porn hate when it came out. Um, I can see that, I guess, but you know, like we talked about a few times this this theme month, completely. I mean, that definitely places it more in this decade of horror. Uh, but to me, this is way more psychological than it is gore porn at all. I mean, there was not that much gore, so we've definitely come a long ways in the last seventeen years, I guess. Um, but as far as you know, as far as what I think goes, overall, I think it's it's okay. I mean, it is something that I'm. It's not something I'm going to watch over and over again. But I mean, it, it was good. I'm glad I watched it this time. Um, I think the movie lives and dies with uh, John Jarrett's Mick. Uh, who I said earlier was was like a fucked up crocodile Dundee, um, also named Mick, by the way. And I I like how they kind of played into that and just just took it all into account as well. Um, It works most of the time. Now, the way it's shot, I'll get into that more, but I thought the cinematography was the star of this movie. Like, I thought it was shot brilliantly. So positives and negatives throughout but i think my score reflected that i I thought it wasn't bad at all you know i'm glad i watched it
1: there you go i was waiting for that cinematography word since mike wasn't here (laughs) (laughs) big shout out to mike uh celebrated his wedding all together if you hope you checked out our mailbag episode that was a lot of fun uh any more opening thoughts before we jump into the scene by scene i'm ready let's do it i got one more qualm with the movie but i'll say i'll wait till the rating to get into that (laughs) But honestly, I really don't have a lot of nitpicks, but the one nitpick I have is pretty big. But let's jump into this uh, scene by scene. This was a fun movie. The film starts with text on screen saying the following is based on actual events. 30,000 people are reported missing in Australia every year. 90% are found within a month. Some are never seen again. We now see waves crashing on a beach in Brome, Western Australia, 1999. We see Ben is at a car dealership buying a used car. Don't do anything I wouldn't do, the salesman tells him, and Ben drives away. We now meet Liz and Christy. They're at the beach filling out cards, like postcards. Ben has the car at a mechanic shop now getting it looked at. The two women are going to be on a three-week trip in a car with Ben. Ben arrives and they are all excited and he helps load up the food and he asks, where's the booze? They joke about no booze and being in bed by 9.30. Next thing you know, they're all drinking and partying. Ben has liquor thrown all over him and jumps into the pool, and others proceed to join him. They all laugh when they say it's past 9.30. Next morning, a woman wakes up and leaves the bed with Ben and almost wakes him up uh, knocking bottles around. She messes her bed up and grabs a toothbrush. Liz wakes up on the beach with three other people and takes her shirt off and goes for a swim in the ocean. They load the car up and take off for their trip. Ben says he has the worst taste in his mouth. Title card. Opening credits raw as we get candid shots of the three looking at the map, sightseeing, and having fun in the car. Ben's playing guitar for the ladies as Liz drives. The three are outside camping now and enjoying a fire and looking at a star-filled sky. Ben tells a story he read about, but Christy calls bullshit on it. It's about UFOs. Next morning, they're packing up camp. Ben asks who wants to drive. More nature shots as the three keep driving. Liz sees a sign that Emu Creek is the last fueling station for quite a while and she makes a turn towards it. They get to a motel slash gas station at Emu Creek. They all exit the car and stretch. Ben puts gas in the car and Liz freshens up in the bathroom. Ben now begins to vlog and, and a gas station attendee named Graham appears. Christy says she thinks Liz has a crush on him and she thinks the feeling is mutual with him. Some guys at a table check out Liz and Christy and ask Ben to come over, they have a question. They ask if they'd be interested in a gangbang. They all laugh, and Ben gets angry at them. But he doesn't keep the same energy once the dude stands up and reveals how big he is. Graham tells them to stop being a dick, and they leave. They pass a sign saying Wolf Creek National Park, 120 kilometers away. Liz says she hopes it doesn't rain, and Ben says it's going to be cold tonight. Really cold. They make it to Wolf Creek Crater, and are excited to hike. They grab some supplies and begin their hike. They make it to the meteorite crater and are in awe of it. The three stop under an umbrella as it rains and eat a snack and take a smoke break. Liz wanders off saying, be back soon. Ben joins Liz and they take a seat and admire the sights. The two share a kiss together and are smitten. Now they begin to make out and laugh. The three make it back to the car and they notice all their clocks aren't working. Ben guesses it's around seven. Liz goes to crank the car but now it's not cranking up. Ben asked her to pop the hood, probably the battery terminals. Ben can't figure out what's wrong. Looks like we might be spending the night, he says. All right, Brian, that's the opening set of things I got. Go ahead, brother.
3: Now, I mean, I will agree with you some, Nico, here, that the beginning does drag on a little bit, but something I will say is something I'll just want to reiterate what you said earlier in your opening. The movie feels real. You know, and, and yeah, I'll definitely say that more throughout for different reasons. But the introduction introduction of these characters, they feel real. You know, and credit that to director, producer, writer, fucking all around utility player, uh, Greg, Greg McLean. You know, during each scene, apparently, he would actually even do a couple of takes, sticking like rigidly to the script, and then he would allow the actors to improvise. And apparently, there's a ton of this where the improv script was used. I mean, the, the scene where Ben and the mechanic checking the car was one of them, you can definitely tell, because that felt, again, that felt real. Um, and most of the party scenes, I think, were as well, too. Um, the campfire fart scenes, you could have left that out later on, mm-hmm. but that was an improv. Um, and I know I brought this up, you know, uh, I brought it up the way this movie was shot uh, in my open... But I wanted to explain some more here too, because first of all, you know, I'm a sucker for handheld movie. Now this wasn't quite found footage, but it was, it was enough handheld that it was, you know, that it sucked me in, you know? And again, to me, it just makes it feel real. That's like the third time I've said real, I think in this, in this whole section here. But, um, and another example, uh, example of like, it was, was this beautiful shot the next morning after the party, like it peeks through a cracked door with everything blurry in the background, uh, that shot through the hole in the uh, kangaroo crossing sign when they drive by, uh, and all the shots through the like the dirty car windows of like the terrain, like you are seeing stuff as they do. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. Um, also, is it, or also is it just me or did Kesty Morassi who plays Christy? Is I mean she's a like striking resemblance to Christina Applegate to me. Um, I legit thought I was her at first. Um. Now, I admit it was very slow here to start out, but I, I did appreciate the character development. Uh, I don't mind slow and boring if I know I care about these characters, and the movie does that. Uh, it does. It also sets you up kind of with this dread because, I mean, you know something bad is coming. And, I mean, even as they pull up to that creepy motel, the atmosphere gets dark pretty quick. Um, you can kind of feel it a little bit. It uh it actually had some strong like vacancy and definitely Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibes to me. Um, also shout out to Ben who wore won me over with the uh, William Shatner impression in the, in, <laughs> in, the uh, in the camcorder and the uh improv lightsaber stunt in the next set of scenes. <laughs> Go ahead, does?
2: Yeah, and no, I, I knew that you would love those. But um, <laughs> so first of all, I like the uh, I guess not the title sequence. Uh, was it Prey... Prelogue. Like, I, I like how they tell us this is based on true events and just the ominous music that they're playing during this and the font sh- uh, style that they chose. Everything about it does a good job of setting the tone of where we're going to end up. It all feels very ominous and creepy. um And, you know, and letting us know thirty three hundred thousand was it 300,000 or 30,000? 30, 30,000 30, people a year disappear. 90% are found within the first month. Like, that's great statistics there to let you know. That that's, you know, 10 percent. That's still a lot of people that never are heard from again. Um, outside of that, man, this set of scenes is such a 2000s scene, like everything from the party to the fashion to the cinematography choice and style that they went with. Like this really feels like it's of its era. So I can appreciate that a lot. Um, to me, the creepiest guy in this entire movie is Graham at the gas station. Holy shit, man. That little creeper just like popped out of nowhere with that stupid little smile on his face. And, uh, I don't know. He just gave me the willies. I did not like him at all. Um, now when they go inside the, uh, gas station diner there at Emu Creek, the whole misogynistic assholes at the table scene, that felt a bit unnecessary. Like th- that didn't do anything. The only reason I say it was unnecessary is cause you almost expected one of those guys to end up to be the villain. Now, maybe that's intentional. They wanted you to be unsuspecting of who it actually is. But you know, to me it would have worked just fine. If that guy who asked him if he's, they're down for a game bang or whatever, if he comes back around later and he is Mick, he shows up. says sorry about that before I was just being stupid with my friends. You kids need help and lures them in and suckers them in it. Like, I think that, I don't know. It just, it felt unnecessary, especially because I can see your point, Nico, this, uh, this, First half of the movie does kind of drag, but I yeah. can also see your set, your point, Brian. It does a good job of making us care about these characters, though. Some too often we've bitched about that. How I don't care about these characters. What what movie, we just did a movie where we didn't care about the main characters. What was that? Hostel. Ho, yeah, Hostel. Yeah. So I think this one does a better job of letting us at least care about these people. They seem like, and they all. It also. Is due to writing, they don't seem like genuine shitheads like the characters from Hostel. Like these seem like just good kids on a trip, on a fun trip. But you know, whatever. So then when they get to Wolf Creek, I thought that was that's holy crap! What what scenery, right? Like uh, just to get there and see the uh, the awe, the wonder that is uh, the the Wolf Creek Crater. I thought that was cool. But I gotta tell you, I, you know, I gotta be honest with you. If I got to park and then walk three hours to get to the, I'm, I'm just I'm not going. I'm not going, man. I'm not walking for three hours, <laughs> especially since, like, what's stopping me from driving further? A shitty fence? No. No, fuck. Like, I've always had a problem with that since I first watched this movie. Just drive closer, man. But whatever. <laughs> uh, and then I will say, you know, it is creepy uh, with the watches stopping working and the car not working. Like, what? what's going on there? Um,
3: and i got to be honest with you. Do they ever explain why the watches didn't work? No, they don't. I just assumed it had. I I assumed it had something to do with the meteor, and like it was kind of a. I guess so. Coming back to this, I guess the car didn't start, so it wasn't Mick did anything to the car. It was legitimately just whatever electrical phenomenon was going on. Okay, Mick
1: fucked
2: it all up. Me too. See, I did too. I wasn't sure. So that that's me. To me, I don't. I think that's a bad decision. Don't make the watches stop working. Because then it it muddies the waters of what actually happened with the car. Because if you're saying the meteor is what fucked with the car and the watches, then it's you're telling me it's purely coincidence that Mick stumbled upon them. We find out later it's not coincidence. Like he's been kind of following them. So I, I don't like that at all. Like take the watches. You can leave the car fucked up, but let the watches work. It didn't serve a purpose. There's no reason for it other than just confuse us. Here we are. Was this almost 20 years after? This movie came out confused as hell by this, this part. So anyway, that's all I got. Uh, Decent open sets the tone.
3: Hey, just a little fun fact. Like there, there apparently had been no rainfall for 10 years in the area where these backpackers, you know, parked their car before setting off for the crater, but it started raining as soon as the crew arrived. And, uh, uh, you know, director uh, Greg McLean was happy that it rained because it kind of added to the ominous atmosphere of the scene. But that's, that's pretty interesting. That's a little
2: that's crazy. It is crazy. I saw that, too, and I ain't buying it, man. Ten years, come on. Look at all the There's too much greenery on the ground. Ten years. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just work here. I ain't buying that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Never let facts stand, stand in the way of a good story, though. You know, I get it.
1: <laughs> all right. The sun sets, and Ben is using his flashlight as a lightsaber now. Ben asks, do you, do you think it means anything, the watches and car not working? He wonders if it's the same kind of thing like the UFO stories he was telling last night. Chrissy says she sees some lights. They realize the lights are coming towards them. Ben and the ladies exit the car and they're greeted by a man who asks what they're doing out here. Mick is checking the car out and repairing it and asks where they're all headed. Chrissy thinks Mick is a nice guy and Mick asks if they want the bad news or worse. Either he can tow them to his camp and fix it or he's got to go and someone else will drive by eventually. Ben asks Mick if he could tow them into town, but he says he's not heading into town. They want to go north, but I'm going south. Ben asks Mick how much all of it would cost, and Mick jokes around saying he's not going to charge them as they all share laughs. They all load up in the car as he begins to tow them to his camp. Chrissy says it seems like they've been riding for hours as they all grow frustrated. They make it to a mining pit, and he stops. Mick tells them he has plenty of water, and they sit around a fire and he begins to tell stories of how he killed animals with guns and knives. Ben asks where does he live. He says wherever he pops up, I get around. Mick gives Ben a mean stare, and Ben asks what's he do now. Mick says if he tells him, he'd have to kill him, and they all laugh awkwardly. He says he's doing everyone a favor by taking out a few kangaroos. They're everywhere now. He says the same with tourists, and they all laugh and all burp together until Ben farts. Mick tells him he'll let them know when he gets the car running. Ben and Christy tell Liz to not freak out. Liz walks over to Mick and thanks him again. And she says, obviously, it'll be best to get going as soon as possible. The three all lay down by the fire to sleep. And Liz tells Ben to move the cooler away from the fire. But they've all passed out. Sun rises and the cooler has melted by the fire. Liz wakes up and is gagged and hands and feet are bound. She removes the gag from her mouth and realizes she's locked in a shed and begins to try and find something to remove the zip ties from her hands and she cries. She finds a piece of glass and begins to cut the zip ties and finally gets her hands and feet free. She makes it out the shed and walks briskly over to where the car has been moved to and sees the car has been gutted. She puts some shoes back on and goes to run, but then she hears a scream. She gets to the aluminum shed and hears Christy screaming more. Liz looks into the building through the window and she sees Christy tied to a post all bloody. She begs Mick to not kill her as he aims his rifle at her. He yells bang at her and laughs and kicks her. He shoots at her just to torment her. Chrissy says if you let me go I won't tell anyone. Mick says he always uses a rubber as he walks closer to her and grabs his crotch. Mick bites her neck and she calls him a fucking loser. You know how I know you're not going to tell anyone he asks. Alright Brian that's the next set of scenes I got. Go ahead. So Mick
3: approaching, you know, while the three were in the car, I thought was really good. And, you know, the first, I think, real tense moment that that we get in the movie. Uh, but man, Mick is such a good character. Um, and I think it was such good writing, I think, to basically disarm the kids and in turn us as audience members. After that tense scene with him approaching w- with him joking around with them, you know, the first time he meets them, uh, Jared does such a good job. And that's what makes his character so damn unsettling. He's not some supernatural zombie or some dream killer or some creepy fuck in the woods, you know, is fucked up the first time that you meet him. He's human, you know, and it seems like just an everyday guy. Um, You know, some more interesting shots here, too, uh, in this set of scenes where you're barely seeing anything. Uh, other than what the spotlights are shining on in the dark, uh, the back of the truck. Now, a nitpick, I will say, is I did I did think that it went on a little too long. I mean, it was like the mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick of being fucking towed. Oh, I, Mac- <laughs> I get McLean yo, wanted, to, uh, wanted you to understand how far away it was, but it just went on a little too long for me. Um, it seemed like it just took forever to get there. A cool little tidbit, though. The sign at the entrance of the old mining company site is actually the name of the backpacker murderer, uh, Ivan Ivan Milot, Ivan Milot uh, spelled backwards as uh, Novotillium, Novotil, however you say that, backwards <laughs> mining company. Um, at the campfire scene again, just man, Jared, I think does such a good job of being just off. You know what I mean? It's just like there's just something off about this guy and that's all acting. But, you know, shit, and, and bam, as soon as Liz wakes up, boom, tied up. The movie instantly has my attention back. I mean, not that it didn't have my attention at this exact point, but we are 55 minutes into this movie right now, and, you know, finally something's happening. You know what I'm saying? Um, but one more thing I liked about what uh, Jarrett does are these, like, almost, I don't want to say, because no, it's not the right word to say non-linear storylines, but like you started off this movie with Ben from his perspective, and then we go to Liz's perspective, you know, and then obviously later on we we you know swap back to Kirsty and then back to back to Ben. But it's very interesting. Like I don't know of another movie that that does that. Um, so I, I give again, I give the movie props for doing something different.
2: Yeah. So um, Mick is he's very charming. Uh, great Great choice there to have it you know they're freaked out when they see these lights coming up because they they've just been talking about aliens and shit and uh they don't know if it's a car it doesn't look like a car which by the way god man how many lights do you need on that jalopy but um
3: (laughs) you're right
2: so but then he gets out of the truck and he's very charming i mean he's got a great personality he's he's laughing with he's joking offers to fix your shit so he is very comforting um now i will say though when they get to the mining site he was very creepy the whole time. Like, was, I don't know. It's just very unsettling. Now, I will say that they missed a great opportunity here to steal a line from another movie that came out in 2005, Dukes of Hazard. So, there's a scene in that where they borrow uh, Cooter's truck. He goes, what if you need to tow somebody? And he goes, well, if I can't tow him, then I'll just finger him." So, he should have said that here.
3: Was- <laughs>
2: anyway. Jeez. That's in the unrated version of Dukes of Hazzard. It's not in the theatrical release. Don't ask me why I know that. Um, so, but anyway, so he's very like <sighs> creepy when they get to the mining site, especially like the way he looks at Ben and just stares him down, uh, kind of, and the whole, uh, if, I had, if I tell you, I'd have to kill you. Like, okay, that's the oldest thing. That's such a dad cliche these days. But um, when it's coming from someone that still doesn't end up telling you what he does for a living and he's just taking you to a mining site – and he tells you how he used to mow down kangaroos in the wild. Like, yeah, that's a little creepy. Um, which, by the way, speaking of kangaroos, huge disappointment. There's not a single fucking kangaroo in this movie. Like, how are you going to shoot a movie in Australia and not have a fucking kangaroo? But uh, anyway. I think
3: at the very end, before he walks away, it does show some shots of kangaroos.
2: Not enough. Anyway.
3: Not enough. Not enough. <laughs> not enough. You're. I will agree with you 100% on that.
2: So, I don't know what the hell was in that quote-unquote rainwater, but... Uh, he must have borrowed it from Bill Is all I'm saying, because they slept through a lot. And <laughs> the next thing you know, what the hell – that was – okay, so she wakes up, and she's zip-tied. That was the fastest sunset of all time. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but it shows outside, and the sun's, like, coming up, and then – Yes. Nothing changes. Like, she, it doesn't break stride to show us that time has passed. We're watching all this happen in what we feel to be real time. She cuts herself free, opens the window, sticks her head out the window, and it is pitch black dark. So, I don't know yeah. what's going on in Australia, but I know the when you flush the toilets, the water goes in the opposite direction, so apparently the sun goes down faster, too. I don't know. But um, this is a very good set of scenes, though. Like you said, now it's like, oh, shit. Now we're in it. Like, th- this is nothing like the first hour of this movie and so um yeah like it, it kind of ropes you back in if you were starting to lose interest or if you were starting to feel like we're not getting anywhere exciting it's like now you're on the edge of your seat with oh shit he is not a good guy
1: I love this Australian accent that you keep slipping into occasionally <laughs> Dustin sorry
2: man I drank some Fostas earlier rise and <laughs> lights let's put another strip blo- on the barbett no I'm just kidding <laughs> you have a blooming onion today too <laughs> No, but I I would take this one lovely young lady to Outback Steakhouse anytime she wants to go and she knows who she is. Oh, yeah. I'm sure she listens. <laughs> no, nah, she doesn't. Right. She
1: listens about as often as I do, though. Hey. Oh, <laughs> All right. Liz runs through the car and she sets it on fire. She has a tank blow up by the fire. Mick walks out and blames himself, but then realizes Liz must have gotten out the shed. Liz goes into the shed with Christy and she sees a mangled corpse. She asks where's Ben and watches Mick putting the fire out. Liz hides and Mick tells her it took four hours to take the parts out and it all burned up. He pulls out a knife and walks to her and cuts her restraints. He slams her head into the post. Mick shows Christy the last female he had hostage here and he says he cut her head off. We hear the rifle engage and Liz aims the rifle at him. Christy laughs and Mick turns around saying it's not loaded. He yells at her and she shoots him in the neck area. She goes to shoot him again, but it's not working. She hits him in the back with the gun twice and she helps Christy up and they get out the building. They get into his truck but realize no keys. Liz Liz runs back to Mick to retrieve the keys. She searches his pockets and finally gets them and runs back to the truck. Mick shoots the windshield out and she drives the truck into the building. She throws it into reverse and drives away. They realize they are being pursued by Mick. Christy yells for her to go. Liz slams brakes and we see she's almost drove off a cliff as the engine dies. The two exit the truck and put it in neutral and push it over the cliff so he won't see the lights. Christy is laughing now and Liz says to follow me as they descend the cliff. Another vehicle approaches and Mick stands above them and he as he looks down and sees his truck at the bottom of the cliff. The two climb back up to steal his car but he's taking the keys. Liz says she has a set of keys. They have to go back and try and get a car. We see Ben now waking up, and Christy says, wait, she has to stop and catch her breath. Christy cries and begs her to not leave her. What if he catches me again? Liz tells her, if I'm not back in five minutes, head that way and you'll find a road eventually. Christy begs her to to please hurry. Liz runs back to the mine and looks for a car. She sees articles on uh, like this, what, like a pinup board of all these missing people. She takes his pistol and loads it up. She goes into another shed and drops the pistol down this shaft. She climbs down the ladder but falls, and at the bottom she sees all kinds of dead bodies. She climbs back up and runs away. She goes into another metal building and sees several cars stashed away, and she calls for Ben. She sees all of Mick's clothes and passports and documents of all of Mick's victims. She finds Ben's knife and begins to watch some videos on a camcorder of another family being towed away by by Mick. The rainwater Mick gave them was poison. She watches another camcorder and realizes it's Ben's. They see Mick's truck in the background at the gas station they stopped at, at Emu Creek. Uh, and the next set of scenes are the ending. Go ahead, Brian.
3: So I guess you can blame Terrifier for this. But when I saw Kirstie, uh tied up to be tortured, I thought, oh, shit, this is about to get really <laughs> bad. <laughs> but I was pleas- pleasantly surprised. Um, and that's another reason why I think this movie got a bad rap for torture porn. I just, I don't get that. I mean, there are very little parts of even gore, but the majority of this is not the go- gore porn that it's, it's, it's the, it's the characters' responses to what's going on around them. And basically, what it doesn't show you, it lets your mind fill in those gaps like we've talked about before. Um, I mean, you didn't see Kirsty get raped, but you feel like how badly she was tortured thanks to Kestie Morassi's performance. Uh, she was amazing. You know, and and at one point, there's a fun fact where during the shooting of this scene, director McLean wanted to get a POV shot. So he cleared the crew out of the shed and only left the two actors inside. Uh, When he called action, they began, you know, doing the scene. But after a minute, McClane became convinced that Jarrett had gone too far and really hurt because Morassi's cries for help were genuine. He burst into the shed only to find both actors were apparently stunned at the disruption. I mean, that's how damn good Marassi's performance was here. I mean, you can see it. Um, Now, from a story standpoint, I understand why you don't have Liz kill Mick, you know, right off the bat here while he's laying there. But from a viewer standpoint, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you don't even hit him in the head with that gun? Like, she just, like, gave him a few, you know, gut shots or, like, jabs, basically. Um, And why are you just sitting there laughing, revving up the engine and not driving away? I mean, (laughs) but my favorite... My favorite of all that is that Mick is just okay after being shot in the fucking neck. He's just me he's okay. Okay. Um,
2: he's Australian.
3: I guess so. A lot of fucking a lot of fucking outback strength. Um, there was a lot of shake in my head. Let's just say that. Uh, I have to admit, my stupid American in me came out when Liz was putting Christy in the car because I was like, what the fuck are you doing? She's in no condition to be driving. But then I realized, <laughs> <laughs> then I realized that's the wrong side, son. You're an outback. Um, but I was just let down with the set of scenes a little bit. You know, I think the buildup was so much that I couldn't help but be let down a little bit here. Um, the moment between Liz and Christy, I think with her not wanting Liz to leave her, was very well acted scene. Uh, but I didn't feel like it was really earned as much. Um, not that I wanted to see them tortured or anything, but it was almost all, just all happened almost so quickly that I didn't personally feel like that moment was earned. I guess that's all there was a, like you were talking about with the sunset, there feels like there was a lot of time jumps, but it didn't like let you know that there yeah. were a lot of time jumps. Right. And, and so you felt like this all happened really quickly. Although it, you know, I know it took place over a longer period of time than it let on, um, by the way, Liz, are you fucking kidding me? You told old girl who's bleeding out, wait five minutes. And you're spending like half an hour watching fucking home videos, movies, checking shit out. I would drive me crazy. Go, go ahead, Dustin.
2: No man. Okay, first of all, I don't know why, but that that popped me. I laughed so hard, dude. That's she's in no condition to drive. Like I just picture. It, like, listen, <laughs> I know you fucked up, but I can't drive right now. I've had too much of this poison water. So, like, this is funny. Um, this is the worst escape of all time. Like, I. I'm so baffled yes. at these dumbasses because you you got like go, you got out. And then okay. It's very tense. It does a good job of building tension and everything, but it's just everything about it is a head scratcher, uh, decision making wise. Now, we're the audience, so it's easy to say what we could what we would do, but we're not in the moment. So I get that part, but no. What the fuck like you said, what the fuck are you doing, wasting time watching these home videos? When your girl's bleeding out in the Outback, you told her to wait five minutes and you're spending ten minutes watching videos. Uh, like I, I hated that. And I hated how she's rummaging around through shit and looking over. And I really hate, you know, maybe Zombieland has uh, tainted me, but you always got to give a double tap. I'm not even talking about zombies. You shot him, but where did you shoot him? So I'm going to look where I shot him, and I see that that looked like it went through his neck. I'm not trusting that to kill him. And so I'm gonna give him a double tap, shoot him again. If you don't have another gun, get something to beat his head in. But whatever, okay, you can forgive it. Um, one, one last thing, and I'll pass it back to you, Nico. But did did y'all did it bother y'all that she saw his truck in the in the uh, Ben's footage? It bothered me. I guess a little too on the well, nose. It bothered
3: little- me that it, it bothered me that it paused exactly right on it. Like, yeah, you know, maybe not. Not that she like, oh, saw it, and then rewound it or something, you know, like you'd see. Yeah. Like, oh, shit. No, it was like stopped right on. It's a little yeah, too I convenient.
2: Agree. And so it's like, I don't know. I I would rather them, you know, obviously he knew that they were there because he may or may not have fucked with their car at Wolf Creek Crater. But, you know, it's just that, along with the uh, the time jumps, really irritate me in this set of scenes. Like how you said that you, you have no idea how much time is actually passing because... They, they didn't do a good job. Everything felt so fluid. So other than that, I mean, it's, it's a good set of scenes tension-wise,
1: but it definitely has its flaws. All right, here's the ending. Liz, fin- <laughs> Liz frustrates me. She frustrates me a lot. So I kicked <laughs> off this set of scenes with Liz finally decides to try and find a car to drive and finally gets it crunk up. She's suddenly stabbed in the back and falls to the floor. She tries to pull out Ben's little knife, and he says, that's not a knife. Mick now cuts some of her fingers off and picks her up and punches her. That's for wrecking me truck, bitch. He says, this little procedure is putting a head on a stick. Once your spine is severed, that's all you are is a head on a stick. He asks about Christy now. Christy wakes up and calls for Liz. Christy gets up and begins to run for help. Christy makes it to a road and begins running. She stops along the side of the road to catch her breath. She sees a car approaching and she stands up and begins to flag the driver down. He asks what happened and she falls to the ground. She gets in the backseat and he gets her a blanket and water from the trunk. We hear gunshots and the old man falls to the ground dead. Christy sits up and we see a scope aimed right on her. She gets in the driver's seat and realizes no keys. She sees a car flying towards her. Mick parks in the middle of the road and waits on Chrissy to drive off and chases after her. <laughs> Mick hawks her down pretty quickly and gets beside her and mocks her. She bumps his car and knocks him off the road. She laughs and he gets his rifle out, and he shoots the tire out, causing her to crash. Mick pulls up beside her with the rifle and watches her climb out the car. She gets on her knees and he shoots her. He walks to her and shoots her again. Mick loads Christie's body into the trunk beside the old man's body. Mick burns the old man's car up. We see Ben has been hung up crucifix style, and he sees other men who shared similar fates as him, who had their lower bodies eaten by these fierce dogs. Ben gets his arms off the nails and slides out their strength. He tourniquets his arms to stop the bleeding and wanders into the outback. He begins to yell for help and is on his knees, now crying. Ben is in the fetal position, lying down. Some Germans find him along the road and escort him to Kalbari. He's air-flighted now by paramedics. Despite several major police searches, no trace of Liz Hunter or Christy Earl has ever been found. Early investigations into the case were disorganized, hampered by confusion over the location of the crimes, a lack of physical evidence, and the alleged unreliability of the only witness. After four months in police custody, Ben Mitchell was later cleared of all suspicions. He currently lives in South Australia. We now see Mick walking into the sunset as the film ends. All right, Brian, what'd you think?
3: Um, I actually liked the ending. Um, It was different. It took some chances and, and I liked that. Like I said earlier, you follow Liz this whole time, and then bam! Like out of nowhere, she's stabbed. Um, it just so happens to be, you know, it, it bothered me that he just so happened to be in the right car. Like that was something I was like, wait, wait what? How did he know which car that she was going to try to get? But I don't know. Anyway, um, I loved the Dundee reference though. Again with the knife, uh, you know. Then we then we swap back to Kirstie's perspective, and then we get the ending with Ben. Uh, how funny would it have been if uh, Ben? How funny would it have been? That was, wow, threw me off there. Sorry. Um, if uh, like you show him getting like hauled into the hospital and then one of the nurses was Mick. I don't know. Just a shit. <laughs> it, was, it reminded me like the Joker or something. Um, but, the, you know, so there's no final girl or final yeah, like, guy.
2: Wait, like, would Mick have been dressed like a female nurse like Joker was? Yeah. And Harvey Dent, <laughs> you know, didn't even, Harvey Dent didn't even realize it was Joker until he took the mask
3: off? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's funny. That's Nico what knows what we're talking about. um so yeah like i was saying there's no final girl or final guy like in the whole usual sense of the word there's no big final fight scene between the survivor and the killer it's different and i respect that uh there were a lot of things i read that called this movie like not original and i I disagree with that to me like him waking up freeing himself that whole thing just feels more real and less uh, i guess formulaic would be the word um but with that said, it only goes goes so far to me, and and to me again, this set of scenes just wasn't the the climax that I guess I was expecting after such a good build up to begin with. Um, and I really do think that yeah, they're they they drag on a little bit, but they give such good character development, and I feel like that they just rush through the rest of the movie. So that's that's kind of where I am with it. I can
2: definitely agree with that. Um, so first of all. You know, this set of scenes is creepy as hell that, you know, he's just sitting in the back seat there, like in the shadows. And you can see his creepy smile. Like, I love that. But again, like you said, how did he know what car she was going to get in? Like, where did he get in the car? I don't know that logistic wise, you kind of have to suspend your disbelief there. But uh, it's still made for a very good, well done scene because stabbing her through the through the seat. She falls out. Yeah pulling a knife and then we get the crocodile Dundee call back. Great use of that line there because you're right. She had a fucking Swiss army knife and he had a damn murder weapon. Um, And then just absolutely brutal death saying, you know, calling her a head on a stick and severing her spine. Like that's brutal. Holy shit. Um, Another big gripe with the movie, man, good Samaritan didn't deserve that. That's just a good, good old man trying to help a poor, poor last, the Shayla's walking down the highway. And he didn't deserve it. He got his shit splattered all over his own back glass. Um, But holy shit, what a heel move for Mick to just like mock her and toy with her as they're riding side by side down the road. And then like uh, that shit was, I don't know, that made me laugh a little bit. But um, you can almost sense, great job of acting there because when he killed her, because you you could sense that he was frustrated. That's not how he wanted to kill her. He didn't get to do it on his own terms. He was. It seemed like he was genuinely frustrated that she's this close to getting away, and he's got to do it like this. So I don't know. It, I, I really thought that was very well done. Um. And then yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird that Ben is their survivor. Like you said, it's not a. I'm not calling him a final guy. He's a. He survived. That's all. Um. So interesting choice there. I. I'm not mad at it. It's very different. Um, I'm glad, you know, kind of glad we didn't get that final sh- uh, showdown because.
3: Me too. Me
2: too. You know, if you would have, then I don't know. It just could have kind of made of would have made the whole story convoluted. I like the fact that we never know what happens. Um. So, anyway, it's a it's a decent ending, but it does feel rushed compared to how much time we spent in the first hour of the movie. Like I feel like this last ten minutes was just like boom, bam, there you go,
1: get out. So. All right, guys, any more final thoughts before we jump into our social media comments and questions? All right, let's do Twitter first. Uh, Big fan of the show, Kevin Scanlon, he commented, I felt so uncomfortable watching this movie. I'm not sure I could watch this one again. John Jarrett played his role too well. I agree, he was super creepy. Uh, Facebook, Missy Hutchinson Wall, the laugh, scariest thing in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Eric Doolittle commented, very underrated movie. Beautifully shot with a great villain. I think Crocodile Dundee could take him though.
3: <laughs> beautifully shot. Absolutely.
1: It was beautifully shot. Uh our Instagram. We got quite a few comments on here. Uh really appreciate that. Uh Fairy Chick commented great movie. So brutal, and that head on a stick scene. Holy shit. A move Ivan Malat actually used. This movie was all was all the talk when released in Australia. We all avoided going near that crater. I'm actually a huge fan of the TV series. Not so much the second movie. Craziest thing was seeing Mick portrayed by a guy who every Friday night was teaching us how to plant flowers in our backyards. Look forward to hearing your review. I appreciate that. I noticed something on our Instagrams. We got a lot of foreign comments, so I think that's awesome. Uh, Alex1 commented, never even heard of it. Looks like it might be on Amazon Prime. I guess I've got my evening planned out now. Thanks, gents. And everyone who's Damn. listening, this movie is this movie is free on Prime, Tubi, and Voodoo. So definitely go check it out.
2: Wait, this is free on Prime, son of a bitch. I watched this with advertisements
1: on Tubi. Well, it had <laughs> it had advertisements on uh, Prime as well. Oh, okay. But uh director Terrence McLeod commented, overall the movie was really good, but I still have a few issues with it. First off, the first half of the movie seemed like it took four hours to get through. (laughs) Secondly, I get the fact that she chose to go back to find their male friend. But you know that there is a crazy killer on the property that you still chose to go back to and still feel the need to scream uncontrollably once you found the barn with the other bodies. You think he heard me? (laughs) Lastly, anybody know what version of sniper rifle guy? Guy must have been shooting to hit that chick at about 200 yards down the road. All in all, I really enjoy the movies that are simple as a crazy fucker that just wants to kill people. Badass. Hey, hey, sometimes simple is the best. In her
3: defense, I think, I think she did say, oh, fuck old Ben. I think she was just going back looking for a car. I don't really <laughs> think she was going back looking for him. Uh,
1: God, Liz annoyed the shit out of me once shit started <laughs> popping off. Mitch, RT93 commented, always love this flick. Brutal, effective, and authentic feeling. Pump for the review. Uh, Mark, appreciate the comment, man. Mark underscore Hef, great movie. Not one ounce of hope in it. Brutal, grim, and it's great. Love the show, lads. Keep up the amazing pod. See, I think he's from Ireland. The the comment above was from over in Europe as well. D- don't go out there. It's just worldwide like Pitbull, Mr. Worldwide. Jay Jay Hambrick88, this is the last comment. I remember watching this when it came out, and I didn't much care for it then, but I was 10, LOL. Hopefully, my perspective changes after this (laughs) rewatch. Yeah, I think I think your opinion will definitely change, brother. Yeah, I don't I don't know Um, many ten year olds that
2: would uh, feel comfortable and just you know fuzzy inside watching this. So it's probably
1: you're you're normal. And that's it for social media. Uh, If y'all have any fun facts or whatever, y'all go ahead.
2: Go
3: ahead, Dustin. Okay,
2: I got a couple here. Um, so even though writer director Greg McLean did not write the role of Mick for anyone in particular, John Jarrett was the first and only actor to audition for the part. Uh, Jarrett was well known in Australia at the time as the host of a gardening show, but he was also recognized, or a recognized actor. Uh, McLean invited Jarrett to audition after he had seen him in a play called Dead Heart. Ironically, Jarrett was, the only, was only working as a replacement for the regular star Brian Brown who was ill the night McLean attended. So that's kind of cool that how he just kind of right. fate backed into this role. Um, right. This is one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite horror movies, which is not surprising because he's a pretty fucked up individual. Shout, <laughs> shout out to my fellow Um Not surprising. This is included in Roger Ebert's most hated list. The reason I say not surprising is because if you know anything about Roger Ebert, is he hates slashers he hates horror movies unless it's like a psychological thriller um he'll give it a decent score but he does not like this kind of movie so that was not shocking um so although in in the advertising for the film uh it claims that this was based on true events it's not entirely accurate so it was loosely influenced by the ivan millot and bradley john murdoch cases but it wasn't based on any one event and uh all four of the principal characters were completely fictitious And the last thing I have here is, since Money Mike is not here to discuss the budgetary matters, I will do so. Um, Movie had an estimated budget of $1 million. Opening weekend, did $2.8 million. So, boom, made its money back in one weekend. And worldwide gross is over $30 million. $30,894,796. So, pretty good return on investment there.
3: I only have a couple real quick. Um, Apparently, unbeknown to the crew the abandoned mine where they chose the film, uh, had actually been a site of a real life murder of, of a woman. The filming prompted a protest from locals who erroneously thought that the film was about those events. Uh, (laughs) and the last thing was that the film was shot entirely chronologically, which, you know, is very rare in film.
1: That is rare. All righty. Let's jump into our favorite kill. Least favorite kill in the rating. Uh, Dustin, I'm gonna go first tonight. I'll just kick us off. Uh, Favorite kill, I chose Liz. Her Her character made so many bad decisions And the head on a stick. Man, that scene was terrifying. That scene was great. I love that scene. Uh, Terrible way to die. Least favorite kill, the slow-ass 45-minute beginning of the movie. Uh, Just kidding. It's actually the old man shot by the road for no reason. I felt bad for that guy. Rating. Uh, I think just like Hustle, this is a movie of a tale of two halves. First half, I like. Sorry to say it again, but it was very slow and painful to get through. I understand you want character development, but this was not it for me, Chief. Second half is very entertaining. Mick is terrifying and an excellent villain. Liz is incredibly frustrating, but the gore is top notch and just like hostile, it feels real, which makes it terrifying. I've been getting into true crime a lot, so uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but. <laughs> movies that feel real are scarier to I me. Mean, they're just scarier to me, uh, which is a big benefit for this. But overall, I gave this movie a 6.5. The Incredibly Slow, Open, and Liz being terrible are my two main cons. Oh, and Christie's terrible laugh. That laugh annoyed the shit out of me. Jeez. Oh, but this movie's probably I'll- about an 8.5 or 9 if the first half is just a little bit quicker for me.
3: Okay. I'll go ahead and go, Dustin, so you can wrap it up on your own movie. Okay. Um, I read, this is a, a statement, and I believe it was Hollinger that said it, but that this movie was a symbolic representation of the unforgiving Australian outback, where if unprepared, it will take your life, where Mick is obviously basically the outback. Um, I, I can respect that, and I feel it had like a great buildup, but the payoff to me wasn't what I was expecting or I would hope, to, you know, I really hoped it would be. Um my favorite kill is Liz, my least favorite kill is Christy actually. Um and I actually I gave this movie a flat six.
2: Okay. So I went with uh the same kills as Nico. Uh favorite kill was Liz just because how brutal it was and how terrifying it was. Um I thought that was very well done. Lee's favorite kill was the Good Samaritan. Like, he's just trying to be a good person. He sees a girl bleeding running down the road. He didn't serve this. He didn't sign up for this shit. Uh, but as far as the movie goes, I, like I said, I think it's underrated. I don't think it's great by any stretch of imagination. There's uh, pacing problems with the first half compared to the second half. There's um, time, like, like we, like I said, they don't really do a good job of conveying how much time has passed when I think they should. There's some things that are unexplained as far as the watches not working was it mick that fucked with the truck then if their watches stopped working or was it just the meteor site um the inconvenience or the how convenient it was that mixed truck was in the footage uh the dickheads at the table making all the sexist comments like there's there's things that are wrong with the movie so it detracts from the score a little bit but overall uh for the period it came out and for the fact that uh I mean, listen. This is, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, to this day, I could be wrong. This is the uh, highest-grossing Australian movie uh, premiere. Hang on, let me re- let me phrase this right. This movie did more on opening weekend in Australia than any other Australian movie to date, I believe, at the box office. So that speaks volumes. I mean, it's 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 a good movie. Now, we'll say the, another funny thing is the very open, like before we get to the scene, the the cards where it's telling you this is based on true event and everything. All the production companies that are involved. I think it was Family Guy did a funny thing like they were showing a movie and you never knew when the movie was actually starting because all the uh, uh production companies are involved their shit looked like it was the start of a movie. There must have been 30, 13 14 different production companies or uh you know whatever advertised at the beginning of this film. I that, that that was a little bit excessive there. But overall I like the movie enough to give it a 7. So that takes our score, it balances us three out to a 6.5. IMDb has it as a 6.2 with 72,000 votes. Not a lot of votes on that, but um, we're pretty pretty spot on. Okay.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like we know what we're doing sometimes. <laughs> uh, I, I enjoyed the rewatch. I definitely have a higher opinion of it the second time than I did the first time. First time, I was like, God, I hope we never do this movie. Uh, I remember you saying final? that actually. I remember you saying that. I told
2: you guys, like a long time ago. We shared the list of movies that we were gonna uh, looking forward to review, and I think it was you that said that just kind of shit on it. You weren't looking forward to it, so I'm glad you came
1: around a little bit. Uh, I think Mick was great. I mean, like like we said in our mailbag episode, one of my three elements of a horror movie I want is a good portrayal by the villain, and we damn sure got that in this movie, so I can't be mad at it. Liz just annoyed the hell. You shot the man, and then you... And what was those hits with a gun? What was that?
3: <laughs> Jabbed him in the stomach a few times.
1: She, looked like she was hitting him like a softball. Like, you know, those little toys that kids play with? <laughs> the little plastic bats? I was like, oh, my God. But anywho, uh, let's shout out our blood donors, and we'll announce our next thing. Uh, and just want to reiterate it one more time. Times are very tough right now economically for all of us. So a big thank you to all of our blood donors. It really helps us out. It takes a big burden off of us. Let's shout out our camper level reoccurring. That's Clayton J., Nina, Michelle Mirza, Andrew Ferguson, Carrie Adams, the Horror Movie Crew Podcast, Alex Seligson, Eric Doolittle, and Sean Irwin. Our camp counselor reoccurring are Hunter Nelson, Dennis Kennedy, Edwin Hernandez-Gunn, Joe Swinford, Jennifer Davis from the Too Close to Home podcast. Karen, Heather Smith, and Kylie Denise, who is from Australia, which is cool. And our newest legendary blood donor and one of our biggest fans, Mr. Kevin Scanlon. Thank you all so much for your uh, blood donor, your financial contributions. It really does mean a lot to us. We really appreciate it. And Brian, you want to go ahead and and the next theme month is my pick. Uh, I chose reboot slash remake month. And uh, Brian, you want to announce your pick, brother?
3: Yeah, so way back in episode eight, we we reviewed and I believe most of us shit on the original Amityville Horror. Um, <laughs> I said then, and I still stand by it, that the 2005 remake of the Amityville Horror is the best of all the Amityville movies. It's superior in every way. Um, Ryan Reynolds, Melissa George, even Chloe Grace Mortez is in it. Um, shout out Zombie Land. No. Uh, what was the movie she was in? The superhero movie with Nicolas Cage and Kickass. Kick ass. Thank you. Lord Almighty. Um, anyway, uh I'm going with two thousand fives Amityville Horror.
1: Nice. Looking forward to it. Uh, any final thoughts before you just get out of here? Uh just wanna thank all our fans and listeners. I really appreciate it. It felt good to get behind the mic again and review a movie. Uh no, we took last week off just You know, we were all a little tired from Mike's wedding. We all got a lot of stuff going on, but, you know, we appreciate all the support, uh, all the comments, all the questions, uh, all the new ratings we've been getting. We really appreciate it, and uh, y'all have a good one. Just want to remind everybody.